Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to come together. We thank you, Lord, that we are able to do things together with people at home as well. And we just look to you for the ironing out of these things. We just thank you for what we've been able to do with the things that we've got. Lord, you've blessed us. Lord, you've blessed us with technology and with people that understand it. And Lord, we just thank you for, Lord, your desire for your church to to know you, Lord, and to know you intimately and to uh, see that life of transformation. Lord, and as we head into this Christmas period, we remember, Lord, it started way before you came as a baby, but when you came in that great incarnation where you became man, Lord, was a turning point for us as humanity. And we thank you, Lord, that you, when we think about Christmas, it is all about you, Lord, and we want to know about you. We want to be confident in your word this morning, confident in who you are, Lord. And, uh, yeah, Lord, just I pray, Father, for what I share this morning. You'll minister to hearts. You'll encourage us, build us up, strengthen us in these days. In Jesus' name, amen. So I don't know about you, but um, I was thinking, should we be looking at some kind of Christmas kind of stuff as we enter December? Um, and if you know me at all, I'm not very good at those kind of things. Like, um, usually, uh, last year, I know we did a series, so that kind of felt justified this year, that if I didn't talk about Christmas this morning, it wouldn't be too bad. Um, but I was thinking about, you know, it started with the incarnation, Jesus being born as a baby. But you know that there are many people that believe that that's a myth. They believe that it is not necessary to believe in that. There are many myths in the Bible and it is unnecessary to believe uh, in the Bible as the word of God in order to be a Christian. Um, and, and, it, and I've been looking into this for a while now over the last few weeks. I've just finished reading the book, which has helped me just to understand some of the things that's going on in the world today, particularly in the Christian world, particularly amongst evangelicals as such as we are. Um, if you didn't know that, that is that we, and the evangelicalism is based on the word of God, the Bible being the authority, the final authority, if you like. That doesn't mean that uh, we neglect things of the spirit. We believe in the spirit. We are a word and spirit church. Um, we are evangelical charismatic. These words, again, mean anything to you. Sometimes they're helpful. Um, but what it means is we believe that the Bible is the word of God. We believe that the Spirit is active today with the gifts of the Spirit and we believe that those two things together, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit bringing life to the Word um, is what brings change, what brings revelation, which brings um, people into knowledge of the truth. So, and it's really important that we hold on to those uh, foundations and I want to talk about the Word of God this morning um, because it's not just... The incarnation that some are now saying was just a myth, it's unnecessary, it's a story. Um, they're also saying, also, which, which connected to that, to that, is that the atonement, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus is just um, a story. Um, the resurrection is just a story. Or it is a, uh, um, a metaphor or, 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 or these various things. And um, so I just wanted to talk about the Bible and I wanted to talk, well, I want to talk about the Word of God. And just a few things about the Bible, just to throw these things out, because obviously we don't have time to go into great depth. Um, the Bible is a unique book written over 1,500 years. It was written by a variety of men from uh, the, uh, a king in, uh, um, in the Chaldean uh, Empire to a humble prophet, Samaria, an educated doctor writing in Greek to the beautiful lyrics composed of Hebrew 
um, shepherd in the field, from a statesman born in Egypt to a fisherman of the Roman era. Um, a diverse group in, who have written, inspired by God. And there is no book in the history of the world as widely circulated as this book or collection of books, because it is a collection of books. Um, it is a unique book. There's none like it. And uh, it's, it is known for its historical accuracy. Not only is there many locations, traditions mentioned in here that have been uh, confirmed by um, field workers in the Middle East and researchers that study ancient histories, um, specific events cited have been able to match in detail things that people have seen in history. Um, there's fulfilled prophecy in this book, 351 prophecies fulfilled by Jesus alone. Uh, Daniel's prophecy of Alexander the Great and others. I once read a book that I bought off a guy. What was his name? Uh, not F.R. Bruce, was it, or something like that? Huh? Yeah, F.F. Bruce, who wrote a history book. He was going to write a history book in Jewish history. And I read, I read that book, and I had, I had Daniel next to it. And it was incredible, the, the accuracy of Daniel's prophecy the fulfilled prophecy of this book. It's scientifically accurate in that scientists have discovered facts and laws spoken of in the Bible uh, before they were scientifically discovered. And I, and I tried to remember the name of a admiral who was dying in, in a war, maybe the Napoleonic Wars, and he called for something and said, read something for me. And they read, I think, one of the Psalms, or maybe it was Job or, or one of the Old Testament kind of prophets, and it talked about these pathways of the sea. And he said, and he said, Lord, if you save me, I will search out the pathways of the sea. Something like this. And he did. And, it, and, and his maps that he created, he found these current maps uh, are now the foundation for modern day technology for shipping around the world. He discovered it because it was spoken of in the scripture. And, and let's keep into account that this, this Bible has one common story that goes through it, through those 1,500 years, through those many different authors. They didn't get together in a big council to discuss what they were going to write. It was a collection of books. Um, and you could even go on, I'm not because I, I will come to the end of my current knowledge that I can hold in my brain, but the councils of like the council um, where they, they decided on what would go in the canon, as they would call it, was based on what was commonly understood at that time to be the word of God by the church. They weren't there to decide what they liked. They were there to confirm what was understood to be the word of God. And that was later on. So these, these books and these letters were in circulation long before it was known as the Bible. But, um, and it's been maintained for that whole time. Um, and even today, scholars, whether they're secular, whether they're Christian, no one now can even say um, that this book is some made-up kind of manuscript based on kind of scholarly technique, techniques. It is an incredible collection of books, and it's testing the fact that God has written down his word. So that alone should really encourage us. But the last point on this about the Bible is that the message of um, salvation and reconciliation to God that we read in here has dramatically changed lives across the world. Amen? You know, we, we read this and it's so important that as soon as you, this is a foundation stone to our belief, and as soon as you change or adapt or take away, you remove the foundation of your faith. That's what I believe and that's my point this morning. 
um, 1 or 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. Now Paul would have spoken about the Old Testament, but he would have also known about the writings that were going around that people understood to be the prophetic word of God at that time. So when they were talking about the foundation of the apostles and prophets, they would have been talking about the word of God that was coming forth from those that were bringing the word. And so all scripture is God-breathed or is inspired. And um, God-breathed or inspired means that men wrote these scriptures, but they were not dictated to, like my biology teacher at Crownwood School when I was at school. I learned nothing because she said, right, get your pens out. Right, now write this down. I Nothing entered into my mind or into my understanding. It just went from her to my pen and that was it. Um, and I learned nothing um, because that's not how I learn. Um, I got to learn. I, I learn in different ways. Um, but men wrote these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and this does as I say it doesn't mean that it was dictated or that they simply wrote what they thought about a subject uh, without any influence of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit moved upon a person to reveal revelation understanding and they wrote down under that influence, they wrote through their humanity the word of God. And that's how God intended it. And the reason I say through their humanity is that you hear often the frustrations of, of David in his Psalms. You hear the frustrations of Paul when he's writing about the circumcision party. You know, you hear this and that's how God intended it. And that was the word of God that God um, using the humanity of man to bring his word out. And that's what it means by inspired. So it is, what is then written down is the inspired word of God. And it was, um, yeah, so by, because of that fact that we believe that it is the inspired word of God, it carries with it the authority of God's word. Amen? You following me? Good. So, and this is the important thing. Authority means that we cannot pick and choose what we agree with. And we can't change it. We can't add to it. There's a Bible out at the moment called the Passion Bible. It is 50% longer than standard Bibles because the person who wrote it has added so much to it to, in a sense, what he would say is to prophetically fill it out with God's real meaning. That's my words, not his. It's my interpretation of what he's saying. That he's essentially changed the word of God. And when people add to the word of God, they reduce the word of God. Yeah? Because they're, you know, the whole thing about the, the word of God is when the Holy Spirit takes those words, and we'll talk about this a bit later, he brings them alive to us in our understanding and in our hearts and changes our lives through it. We don't need, you know, it's helpful to read the message, you know, uh, paraphrases or thought-for-thought type things. It's helpful to read those kind of things. But equally, when you study, really, it's good to come back to what has God said and, and allow the Holy Spirit to minister us. That's another subject. And the reason that this is so, and this is what I've been looking into, and I really feel the Lord has been provoking me to do this, and that is... It is important because there is a big threat amongst the church today. Um, and I believe that we, in our kind of churches, we can think, that well, that's not us, that's just the churches that have, 
you know, for whatever reason, they don't have, they're not as smart as us or something, I don't know. But this is something that there is a, um, that I believe that if we're not careful, we will see it in our churches. And it is called progressive Christianity. And what that means is this, I'll give you a brief thing. And I want to contrast it with what I'm calling historic Christianity. Or some might call it orthodox Christianity, but that can confuse people with the orthodox church, and that's not what it means. It means historic Christianity, that um, fundamental set of doctrines and understanding and teachings being passed down through the ages that has been understood clearly from the Word of God is being changed now. So when you take away, as progressive Christianity, uh, Christians would say, the Word of God, this isn't the Word of God, it is the understanding of men through the ages and their understanding of God at that present time. And it is open to being uh, fallible, it's open to errors and mistakes. They don't have the understanding that we have now because humanity has progressed. We can look back and say, oh, well, they thought that, but now we know better. And... Um, and there's a big problem with that because when you take out the fact it's inspired of God and it's purely a man-made document, it is open to all types of interpretation because all you have to say, as some say, as some do, they say, no, well, I know Paul said that, but Paul was wrong when he said that. Or, or Jesus wasn't the son of God because he spoke in the third person. He was talking about someone else. And then Jesus is no longer God. And so, and this is what's happening. It, you take away, they say that the Bible is not the authoritative, I think that's the word, word of God is simply the writings of men who were figuring it out as best as they could. And there's a certain amount of wisdom in that in trying to understand it, but it is not the word, the authoritative word of God. And, um, and what they do to justify this, is they look at bad understandings of theology in the past and say, well, the church got slavery wrong, therefore, who knows what we're getting wrong today. And this often comes up in when you talk about issues of gender and sexuality and things like that. So that's the first thing. They do not believe that the Bible is the word of God. Secondly, what happens is then you take a more subjective view of the scriptures. So when I read that, I say, well, what that speaks to me is this. And to another person, they say, no, what that speaks to me is this. And as long as that draws me closer to God, then that's okay. Um, there is a no longer an objective truth. The other thing is, is that what happens is, is that people then change or redefine words according to often the cultural context because we progressed as a cult, as as a as a society, and therefore we are progressing. So, for instance, there are different understandings of creation. Creation is a story. It is a, it is a myth. Garden of Eden is a myth. This is obviously what not what I believe. This is um, there's um, as I said there's the uh, the incarnation, substitutory atonement substitutionary atonement as a ah, it's certainly not that there is not a God who judge our God is a father, why would he judge us um, and many other things that the Bible teaches um, thirdly there's an emphasis therefore on 
works of an individual. So when I say to you, you shall know them by their fruit, we will understand that to say, have you ever met Tricia? She's the most patient, kind person I've ever met. Um, And you say, and that is the sign of someone who knows Jesus. Right? We'll all go, amen. Praise God. But have you ever met a non-Christian who is patient and kind and loving? Absolutely. Is that a sign of them knowing Jesus? Now, the progressives will say that's what we look for. Because we can't take confidence in that the word of God is interpreted correctly, we will never know. What we do is we look at what um, reflects what we believe God is. And it's love, it's social justice, it's, it's wonderful things. You can't knock people from saying, we want to see society changed. You know, we want to see, and that's one thing um, that, that is, is actually quite good about these people, that they have a heart to want to love people. When you have a loving relationship between two people of the same sex, and let's not kid ourselves that you can't have that, Somehow we say, oh no, it's going to always be terrible because it's not God's way. But when you do and you see safe, loving relationships of people who are of the same gender, for a progressive it's to say we see Christ. We see God in everyone. So one of the things that we, they don't see, that they don't recognize is original sin. So in everyone there is God. There was one guy, and the thing with the progressive Christians is that there is no set doctrine, so not everyone will believe the same thing because it's all very subjective. But I listened to one sermon. Did you listen to it, Daniel? The one I sent? No, not yet. Um, that when the Christ, the Christ at creation was was spoken out into all of creation, therefore God is in all of creation, therefore God is in everyone. When you lose the foundation of the word of God and your belief that the Bible, these words, are the written word of God, you are open to all sorts of things. And I want to say this as well. Um, <clears throat> there's there's something... I'm jumping ahead. Oh, I'll say that in a minute if I get to it, if I remember it. Spurgeon said this. We shall not adjust, adjust our Bible to the age, but by God's grace we shall adjust the age to the Bible. And I've got a few Spurgeon quotes this morning. Um, this isn't new. There's always been a threat to truth. There's always been a threat to the word of God. In these days, I believe that that threat is so much closer. And um, there's another thing that they talk about they call this deconstructing theology, which is simply going back over everything we've understood. I kind of said this already. Looking at how we understand God, just taking apart and saying, we need to take a fresh look because we progressed. We need to take a fresh look at this. And I think we're now in a better position to understand what the truth of God is for our day to day. And they call it deconstruction, um, changing the belief, overemphasizing on certain things, taking something out. Someone I read, um, I was listening to said that there are four, I believe there was, they kind of said there were four different manuscripts that came together to make the Old Testament, which, which is why you get four different views of God. You get the God of, God of love, God of judgment, you know, the one who kills all the babies and things, you know. You get all these different views. And so what they do is say, that's not the God that I believe in. This is the God I believe in. 
And so there is no judgment in God. And there's a lot of wonderful things. In a sense, they have a wonderful view of grace. But when you take away the fear of God, then you can, you can lose the power of grace. Um, you can't preach love without preaching holiness. If you, you can't, you can't take out the fear of God, um, out of your understanding because it opens up to, um, a greater, what some would say, just, um, uh, greater levels of sin, although they wouldn't see that. So we mustn't lose the foundation of the Bible. It's truth, it's authority, it's life-changing. I'm not one to focus on end-time theology, but it does say, I think 1 Timothy 4, Matthew 24, talks about in the end times, many will be led astray. And, uh, and it, we must understand that the things that are most often to lead people astray are not very obvious. They're subtle. They're subtle changes. They will challenge what you believe about God. And, you know, and, and I'll be honest with you, when I listen to some of these things, it challenges what I believe about God. And that's a good thing because it makes you look and say, I should, you know, I, my confidence is in the word. I need to, if I've got a weakness in my understanding, not in my faith, in my understanding, then I want to fill that gap, as it were, so that I can then help to bring clarity to others. Yeah? So some, for some of us, re- research and study into these areas are, are easier. They come easier. But we need to take the word as the word of God. And the Bible is complete. It's a spiritual, it brings spiritual sustenance and blessing. And when we read it, the words will bring life to us. So let's read some of the Bible since we're talking about it. Matthew chapter 24, just to read a, a parable of Jesus. Someone once said, uh, I heard this yesterday, and, um, Jesus spoke in parables because he didn't want to determine what people believed. And that's not true. He spoke the word of God and he, because he wanted us to know the truth. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Anyway, um, it's not Matthew 24, it's 27. It's Matthew 7, verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. we need to build our lives on the word of God. Not just on the promises of the word, but on the obedient activity of the word from our lives. First by faith, believing it, and then living it out in obedience. That's essentially what Jesus is saying. And if we start to take other things as our foundation then we are building our lives on the sand. And when the storms come, the storms of temptation, the storms of, of um, uh, uh, maybe aggression against us, of pressures against us, then what are we standing on? What are we holding fast to? See, the Bible will challenge 
all that is not in alignment with God. So if you want to not be challenged, change the Bible. That's what I see is happening. I want to say this, that in all of my research and listening and, and, and looking and reading, I've not found, and I haven't looked, has anyone read The Shack? Yeah? The foundation of that and that author is a progressive Christian. And that book is something that has got into many evangelical Christians' lives. And again, what you find is a lot of good, helpful stuff in that. But how they then, uh, the author, I can't remember his name now, because he's written other books that are clearly progressive, he's a progressive citizen, um, under, undermines the Godhead and Jesus and love and forgiveness. There's lots of wonderful things in there, as I said, that were very helpful, but it is progressive in, in its, but I was listening to someone else and I've not found anyone who is simply wanting to attack people. A lot of people move into progressive Christianity because of hurts, because of trauma, because of trauma from churches, because of spiritual abuse, because of bad teaching, because of just questions and not being able to ask the questions. And I would love it in this church if we were able to ask questions to question theology? Absolutely. Let's question theology. And this is what, how I understand it. How is it that the Bible says this about God? I question that, but it doesn't mean that I move the truth of the Bible to get my answer. The question is, will you lead me to know you in order that I can find the answer? So some will say, we are a church not about answers. We're a church that asks the questions. Um, and that leads you nowhere. Um, so let's be a church to ask the questions as we find how we can understand the answer. The answer is in there. And I don't know everything in there. I don't understand everything in there. And there's a bit of learning. But I know who God is. And I understand the Godhead. I understand the certain things. I understand that Jesus died on the cross as a, as a sacrifice for my sins. I understand that. I don't understand sometimes how things get there. Well, I'm going, went off a little bit there, sorry. But what was I saying? Yes. But some of these are just people that just want to love God. They want to serve God. They want to love people. And they're just struggling to see how what they understand or what they've been taught in the scriptures and often what they've been taught wrong about the scriptures will help them put those two together. Does that make you understand? So, you know, if you ever meet a progressive Christian, love them and tell them that Jesus is the Christ and he's the answer and the word of God is true. Um, but there's, maybe there's trauma underneath. So, the Bible will challenge us. So we read here um, in, in verse 7, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man. So we need to be obedient to the word. And, um, and these days, um, there are not that many Christians who read the Bible. And if we're not reading the Bible, if not spending time in the Bible, then how are we going to find our strength and our foundation on, the, on, I should say, the Word of God? When I talk about the Bible, it could feel like it's just these texts and paces, you know, but it's the, as the written Word of God. And so I want to just say a few things about that. Am I going on a little bit at the moment? But never mind. You're all stuck here, aren't you? Um, here's some scriptures. John 5:37. Jesus referring to the Old Testament. The Father who sent me 
Um, so John 5, 37 to 40. The Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And he said this to the Jews, he's saying to them, look, the scriptures, our Old Testament testify of me. They point to, they declare Christ, that he is the way to eternal life. Um, The word of God declares truth about God and leads us to the living word of God. So when we read this, the activity of the Holy Spirit is going to lead us to know Jesus and to relate to Jesus and to worship Jesus and to hear from Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying to him, to know Jesus through the word. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 to 13, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And this verse uses the term logos for word of God. And there's some debate about, so is the Hebrew writer talking about Jesus, the word of God? Or is he talking about the written word of God? And the word can be used in both. Spurgeon, I find this out, Spurgeon said, summed up this, he talks about the word of God inspired and the word of God incarnate, you know, made flesh. And we read that, again, we could go into John and we can read these verses, But um, so I encourage you to do that. Um, but we read here how the word of God speaks into the depths of a person and you can see how it, it changes. And you could say even, you know, that Jesus works in, or you say the word that you read can cut right in between soul and spirit, discerning the thoughts, intents and the heart. When you read it, you're provoked, you're prompted, you're convicted or you're released or, you know, something is happening. And then he says, and no creature is hidden from his sight. So you can see how there's both the written word, you could see, it can justify that, and the person of the word, Jesus Christ. This is all unnaked and exposed. The word of God reveals things to us. So what does this mean? We pick up these scriptures and we, we um, engage with the word on two fronts. By faith in the word of God, as it reveals Christ to us in our hearts, by knowing the word of God. I remember I met someone and whenever he heard something great, he went, he went like that. It's like, yes. Um, by knowing the word of God as it teaches and equips our understanding, our mind heart and mind. See, initially, we may focus on this. We turn to any kind of passage. Isaiah 4, um, I'm in here. I'm not, it says, and in that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. And you read that and say, what on earth is going on? And we engage with it in two fronts. We read it. We meditate upon it. We believe that as I pick up this Bible, and what's why I encourage you in your times when you read it, you read it up and you enter into a spiritual activity, 
not just a mind activity. You read it, you meditate on it. That means to think, consider, contemplate. Meditation is a biblical concept. By the way, as any, I don't know if anyone follows, you know, like Katy Perry and Hugh, uh, who's uh, Wolverine? Um, Hugh Jackman. Um, I came up on Instagram and they're advertising this transcendental meditation. And they want to get it, more and more people into transcendental meditation. Now, I remember years and years ago, in the, probably in the eight, late 80s, early 90s, reading a little booklet about it, thinking it was some Eastern European thing. But it's meditation. And there's nothing bad about meditation. The problem with meditation is, is when there is no focus of your meditation. And when the Bible talks about meditation, it says, I will meditate on your word day and night. When you're meditating on other things or when you're clearing your mind, you're entering into some realm that is not just natural. I've seen people that I believe were operating in a natural way that were shaking about falling on the ground. I don't think it was demonic and it wasn't of the spirit. There is a natural place that is not safe for us. Anyway, that's, I've got no... Um, I say that lightly because I've got no, I haven't studied that or anything, but it concerned me that more and more people have been introduced to transcendental meditation. You know, but we can meditate on the word. We can, that was something that had been done in the Bible for thousands of years to meditate on the word of God, as David said in Psalm 1, I think it is. Anyway, again, that's another side. Um, so spending time in study is not just... Now, for me, I would probably go, oh, what's the branch of the Lord? And I know that would lead me to Christ as the branch of the Lord. And there's other verses I remember or something. But for you, you might read something and say, Lord, I'm getting nothing from this. And when we, if we want to gain understanding, maybe for some of us that comes easier, we have a desire for that. We get into the books, we listen to the sermons, we want to understand it. And I think that's wonderful, but it's not next... Not, absolutely necessary Um, but I can read that and as I read that knowing it's not just about my intellect but becoming more aware of Christ I can read that, I can meditate on that and I know there is a spiritual heart thing going on and I know that by faith and this is an important point I want to make I know that by faith not by feeling or experience or by results faith says The word of God is living and active. Faith says that the written word um, reveals Christ because the word tells me. And as I read that and I give the word time and I say, Lord, will you minister to that by my Holy Spirit? At times I have an intellectual response. At times I have an emotional response. I feel the love of God. I feel the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. At other times, I feel nothing, and I think nothing, but I believe in everything. Amen? So the Bible is never going to let us, let us down. Um, we just might not know the outworking of that until we look back and we realise, how have I grown in strength in the Lord, in my knowledge of God? How have I done that? Because bit by bit, the Word of God has been building me up. I've been building my house on the Word. And we're not building my house in the Word by my understanding going up. I'm building my life because I'm being built up in faith, in my spirit, in my spiritual life. Amen. Spurgeon says this, No man who merely skims the book of God can profit from it. We must dig and mine until we obtain the hidden treasure. And again, I just want to labour this point. 
I don't believe that he is just talking about studying it for understanding. The benefit of understanding is because who's going to tell people and teach people the word of God, if not us? There's a benefit for understanding. And I'm uh, the benefit I have when I have to preach is that I have to study. Um, and I do often wonder, what if I was taken out for a year? Would I not study? So it's easy for me to say to you, guys, you need to do it. If you've got no reason to do it, maybe it's harder. Do you understand? Whereas, but to spend time studying is good. We've got to dig. But also we've got to give the spirit opportunity to minister. And we do that by faith. And this is what 1 John says. The anointing that you receive from him abides in you. Speaking of the Holy Spirit. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Now, I know some say, um, you know, clearly we're not saying that you don't come to church and listen to teachers or you don't read books or you don't listen to sermons in order to learn. But he's saying this, that there is the teaching of the Holy Spirit. What, is, why, what does the Holy Spirit teach us? Surely he teaches us Christ. He comes to reveal Christ. Yeah? The Holy Spirit, yes, there's understanding and there's faith and there's things we don't feel and all these kind of things I've been saying. But the Holy Spirit, you don't need anyone to build you up in the Spirit. You've got the Word. And in these days of isolation and, and um, lockdowns and everything, out of the end of it, and we've heard people in prison and all they've got is a Bible, they've got everything they need because spiritually they're being built up and built up in the things of God. And even maybe also in their understanding in their, and in their minds. But what does he teach you? Is it facts and figures? Um, or does he bring us into greater awareness of the way, truth and life of Jesus Christ? So when... People say we need deeper teaching or we need to get deeper in the word. What we're saying is, and this is what I'm saying, the word, as I spend time meditating, considering, reading, my relationship with God will go deeper. Not necessarily my understanding, my relationship with God will become more intimate. So don't let, you know, and it might be that your discipline is, I'm going to give... These 15 minutes, I'm going to read, I'm, I'm going to read a few verses and I'm going to think on it. I'm just going to read it a few times and consider it. And, and, I, and after those 15 minutes or whatever it is, you come again. Well, I don't know, but faith says in those 15 minutes was the activity of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, which always brings transformation. That's my key point today. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. As we hear the word of God, as we read the word of God, in that context it talks about preaching the word of God. Like, you know, when the word of God goes out, faith rises. But I believe there's a principle there. The more that we are in the word, the more we can stand against lies, temptations, fears, anxiety, because we're building up our lives on, on, the, on the word of God. When I was a young person, and I mean a teen, um, or I became Christian about 18, so like late teens, early 20s, um, I, I don't know what, who said it, might be my dad, but he said, he said, if you want to prophesy, read the Bible. And, uh, and, it's, and it was this principle that just got in me. And it, the point was this, 
The more you're in the word, the more the word gets into you. And the more the word that's in you will come out of you. If you want to put, and you know, and at that time it was like, I want to do every, I want to do what that person's doing, he's prophesying. I want to do what that person is speaking tongues. I want to do, I just want to be in everything. That was my attitude. If anyone, you're doing that except for dancing, I don't want to do that and carol singing. I don't want to do that. But I want, you know, I, I love to preach. I'd love to do, I just want to be free. I want to be free. That was it. That was my kind of thing. Um, and, uh, and that was one of the advice. And I think it's a great principle. It's a bit like when people pray for their exams and they haven't revised. Lord, just will you magically make the information appear in my brain, even though I haven't looked at the textbook. Faith builds us up. If you want to build on the rock, you can't do so about the word of God, and that includes being obedient to the word. So I want to finish with a few things. It says we must be obedient. Did someone just say amen then when I said we're going to finish? <laughs> Who was that? Who was that? Come on. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, first, we must believe that the word of God is truth. Is God able to keep his word for 1,500 years plus, from the beginning of the ages? Is he able to keep his word? The word of God is truth. Second, we must believe the word of God is transformative. And third, we need to work out the new life he's working in us. Philippians 2, verse 117. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's the, if you like, the ministry of the word into our hearts. And then he says... Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Now you've read the word, now the word is ministered into you, now live out the word. And when you fall, you get up by the grace of God, you get clean, loved of God, and you go and step out again. And you live out the word. And you live out until you're living out all new word and new word as you go along. Build your life on the word. So summarising these three things. By faith, receiving the word of God, prayer, meditation, consideration, contemplation, heart relationship with God, with Jesus the word, through the written word. That's by faith. By knowing the word of God, learning, remembering, understanding. That's the mind element. And by obeying the word of God, by doing what we have learned by his grace and his strength, that's our strength part of our response to God. Heart, mind and strength. So let's be those that know the word. Let's be encouraged by the word and let's be aware of what people are saying about the word so that we can love them, resist the whole idea, and pray for them, that the Lord would help them. Amen? Let's pray. Maybe as I pray, you want to come up. Father, I want to thank you for your word. Right from the very beginning, you spoke. Lord, you are the word of God, speaking into our lives, day by day. And Lord, I want to thank you for this book. Thank you for those who have made it freely available to us over the years. 
Lord, who have died, even burnt at the stake. Lord, you've kept your word and you've made it available. And even still to this day, there are people who are translating it, making it available to many new languages. And Lord, your word of God is powerful and effective. Lord, and we thank you for your word. And I just pray for each one of us that you would just reignite our love for the word and help us, Lord, with strength and discipline to spend time in the word. Help us to understand that it is by faith, Lord, we engage with your word. Lord, and we pray for understanding. We pray for the ability to teach and to share with others. But most of all, Lord, we pray for the transforming power of your word by your Holy Spirit. And we just ask, Lord, that you would do something fresh and new in these weeks ahead. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just want to share something. Uh, thanks, John, for that encouraging word. Um, and just wanted to share a picture that God gave me while John was speaking, particularly when you were speaking about the branch, John. And, and it's maybe a helpful hint on what we can do when we're studying the scripture. And the picture I had was that studying scripture is a bit like doing a, a jigsaw puzzle. And so I don't know if you're used to doing that, but the idea being that if you picked up a piece of a jigsaw puzzle and just looked at it, and you stared at it, and you can spot, look at it for so long, but then you came to the point and you said, I just have no idea where it went. And then you just said, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. And I think sometimes we can do that in the scriptures. We can read a scripture, we can even meditate on it, but we don't know what it is or where it fits. So what we do, though, when we do a jigsaw puzzle, we put that piece down, and then we look at other pieces. What we do is we look at the big picture. We look at the frame that we, you know, they always start, say with the jigsaw, start with the edge. And so you build a frame around so that when you have that piece again, you might come back to that piece later, you've then got a context to put it in. And so what I want to encourage you is that as you do study the scripture is if you do get to that piece, it's not just you look at a piece and then you stop, but you continue to look at other pieces and other pieces. You look at the frame, you look at the picture, the big picture, and then you, you'll slowly then begin to understand what that piece meant, where it came and where it fits. So I know for me, it's because when John said about the branch, I've been reading through Jeremiah, and every time it says branch, I've circled it, and it says it quite a few times. And so because I've, I've looked at the other pieces, I understood the piece that John read. And so I just want to encourage you that if you are stuck at one point, don't stop there, but just keep on going. Read the whole scripture so that you might understand the small context and small parts of it. Thanks.